Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to a live episode of Garibaldi Red, the Night in Forest podcast from Nottinghamshire Live, where we are streaming live on Facebook and very much relying on producer Dan's Wi-Fi in the middle of a thunderstorm, not giving out. So hopefully this all goes to plan. But we are joined today by former Red Swinger Paul Anderson, who's going to talk us through his career, what he's up to now, and uh, just his thoughts on what's happening at Forest in general. So thanks for joining us, Paul. No problem. Pleasure. Oh, well, I wanted to get you on because you've had a career that not too many players will have had. You've seen a lot in the game and you're only in your early 30s now. I mean, you've played for Liverpool, you played 100 times for Forest and more, a lot in the Championship, and then the more recently the lower league. So what was it like starting out? Obviously, you signed for, you were with Hull and then you, you joined Liverpool. Was it, was it about 17? Is that right? Yeah, that was right. Yeah. What was that like? Is it tempting just to think you've made it then or not? It, it was a strange scenario because uh, literally a year beforehand, um, I'd got released by West Brom at under 16s. Um, and they sort of said, they questioned my mentality and whether I'd ever be um, mentally strong enough to play within the, the professional game. Um, so that's the reason why I got released. And I, it, Hull had wanted to sign me sort of for years before, but I lived outside of the catchment area, which we're talking 15 years ago now. So you have to be within an hour and a half drive to be able to go and do evening um, evening trainings, kind of things like that. So um, it just so happened when I got released and I've got family up in Hull who have got contacts. My uncle actually works at the club as like the referee's sort of liaison. Um, he spoke to, it was uh, Billy Russell and Neil Mann at the time who were the youth team coaches um, and just sort of said, look, he's, he's come up as a, as a like he's been released by West Brom, would you like him to come in and have a bit of a trial? And they said, yeah, more more than happy for him to do it. Is it's uh, he's um, got half term the next week, so why doesn't he come in, come and train, and uh, see how he does? And um, so yeah, so I managed to managed to get a contract there with, with Hull, which I'm a Hull City fan, so it was one of those that. Not necessarily a dream come true for me because when you're in the youth team, you haven't necessarily made it. Um, but it was a dream for me to be at Hall City and I'd got all the Tigers shirts all the way from a from a young lad. Um, so that opportunity. And then when Liverpool came knocking, who they'd just won the Champions League that year after Istanbul. Um, and then Hull were offering me pros and Liverpool were offering me pros and it was such a difficult decision for me. It was a real head and heart decision like with your head you can't really turn down the European champions um, but with my heart I was desperate to play for Hull City and, and just get one first team appearance under my belt would have been would have been a dream come true and it's still one of those dreams that you never know it would be such an amazing achievement for me to go and play for, for the team I support Obviously we'll talk at length about your, your Forest career but 
when you're at Liverpool, what kind of experience is that for a kid who's been released by West Brom? And it sounds like you might have had a bit of chip on your shoulder about what they said about you. What was that kind of world of being at Liverpool like? Well, it was um, it was actually A.D. Boothroyd who released me from West Brom. No. He was like head of the academy or however they started changing it because um, West Brom were in the Prem at the time. Obviously, Hull will leave one at the time. Um, so I went to Hull and then I actually bumped into, after I'd signed my my deal with Liverpool, I actually bumped into Aidy Boothroyd just before I left Hull to go. Um, and he just sort of said, well done, kind of thing. So not necessarily a chip on my shoulder, but it was nice to shake his hand and be like, yeah. you made a mistake here. Um, and, and obviously, <laughs> I, you can't even begin to explain how big a club Liverpool is. Um, and when you go with some of the players that were there with me as a 17-year-old, you're quite uh, starstruck, to be honest. It's, it's pretty. Like, I look back on it and I only had a conversation today about it that there's quite a lot of regret I have from there that I didn't get more photos, didn't collect more things of me and some of the players because if there's no photo evidence, did it ever happen? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, but look, I look back on it fondly and and it's an amazing achievement, really, when I look back at it. Um, Like I say, we're streaming on Facebook, so if you want to drop any questions in for Paul in the comments section, do, and we'll put some to him later on. Um, You... you didn't you were on the bench in a Champions League game, weren't you? And you, but you don't. I don't think you played a first game, but a first team game. But just to be involved in that experience, I mean, you know, even if you'd done nothing else in football, that must have been yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah, at seventeen, it was so unexpected. There was a lad called Antonio Barragan as well. Um, myself and him got got selected to be on the bench. It was the last sixteen against Benfica at Anfield, um, and unfortunately, we lost. But like for a 17 year old that like we were saying a year and a half beforehand was getting released from West Brom thinking you're not going to be a professional footballer at any point to a year and a half later you're getting an opportunity to be to be in and around one of the best well technically the best team in Europe as they were Mm -hmm. um to be, be in and around squads like that it was it was just incredible for me you had a loan spell at Swansea that went really, really well. How did you end up at Forest? Because I was researching before this and Martinez made it pretty clear that he thought it was right for you to go back to Swansea. So what what was the, the true story from your side of the fence there? See, this is a difficult one. And like, I can be quite open and honest about stuff. At the time when the conversations were going on, and again, I'm no longer with my agent that I was with at the time, um, who I have so much respect for and he gave me so much opportunity within football and he never did wrong by me from what I can see. Martinez was on the phone to me a hell of a lot, desperate to get me to, to go to Swansea uh, to stay. So I'd loaned at Swansea and then it would have been another loan to go into the championship because that was the year that Swansea and Forrest both got promoted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was getting calls off Coldwood, Colin Coldwood at the time and calls from Martinez um, and in my head it was in all honesty Swansea played unbelievable football at that time um, they played the style of football that really suited me uh, really attacking football which you can see what Martinez has done over the years um, and we won the league by a country mile 
um, at Swansea. So in my head, I was saying to my agent, look, I want, I want Swansea to happen because I believe they would have been the best thing for my future and the right style of football. And in all honesty, I didn't know too much of how Colin Calderwood and Forrest actually played at the time. Um, so I was, I was pushing for that um, and saying, why would I want to go somewhere that the team's obviously not as good and the manager uh, isn't trying to progress it? Um, and then we were pushing and pushing. And to be fair to Forrest, to be fair to Coldwood, he was literally, he would have bent over backwards to, um, to get me to the club. And the more and more I started talking, I was actually thinking that this club actually really want me. Um, and it got to a point where Swansea, so my agent was saying, Swansea were dragging their feet a little bit. Um, and, the, the forest opportunity came and I literally gave an ultimatum to Martinez because I think Liverpool were asking for some sort of loan fee. I don't know mm-hmm. exactly what it was. Um, and I'm not sure Swansea were prepared to pay as much as what Liverpool were asking, whereas Forrest literally just matched it straight away. Um, and I turned around to Martinez and I said, you've got 24 hours. If you don't get the deal over the line, then I'm going to sign for Forrest. Um, and gave him 24 hours. And from what I was told through my agent, um, there was no deal to be had with, with Swansea. So I was more than happy to come around and, and sign for Forest. What was it like those early days at Forest as a promoted team? I'm casting my mind back. Obviously, Coldwood was gone by, by Christmas. Was, how, how did you settle in initially? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was difficult because I'd got injured at Swansea. I tore my thigh. Um, so I missed quite a lot of football. Well, so quite a lot. I missed two and a half months of football with Swansea. And I recovered from that. And then in the pre-season with Forrest, I tore it again. Um, so I actually missed the start of the season. Um, so I missed, I think I missed the first two and a half months of the season, which is obviously extremely disappointing when you, one, I've been told by Liverpool that go out and do really well in the champ, in the championship and then come back and press, like push for to be in the first team at mm. Liverpool the following season. So that was my main aim. Um, and then... Yeah, so I, I just sort of was so disappointed as well to be at such an amazing club and not actually be able to show the fans what I've done because I think we've done a few signings, nothing overly special, but there was a few signings that year and, and I, I was just desperate to get, get playing. And it's relatively local for me. Um, I'm sort of Mountain Mowbray based, so sort of Leicestershire way. Um, so Forest is quite local for me. Um, so I was sort of desperate to get playing, considering I've played at Swansea for a year where your family and friends can't really come down and visit and watch. Mm. I could have had, I could have probably sold out the city ground most weeks just to have my family and friends there. So it was, um, so it was just so disappointing for me. And obviously the way things went and the colder would go in pretty early doors. Um, it was a shame really, because he'd, he'd really backed me and, he, and probably didn't get to see the best of me or, or to be able to perform for, for for the club who have put so much investment into me, I suppose. What was it like when Billy came then? I mean, there's so much said about Billy. Uh, I think he came in off the back of that Man City Cup win, if I'm getting my Billy John Davis. Hamilton took us. Yeah, well. yeah. What, we, beat, what, we beat Norwich and we beat Man City. Yeah. I mean, what was that time like then when Billy arrived? Was it a whirlwind or not? I'll be honest, I, and I'm sure look, all Forest fans will have their opinion and, and whatever else. I think Billy is Marmite and I'm on the loving side of it. Um, 
he was brilliant for me. He, I think between him and Ned, so uh, David Kelly, the assistant, I think between them, they really progressed me as an all-round footballer, um, really improved a lot of probably defensive parts of my game, um, mm. but just the concentration levels, everything, the expectation levels, the clarity of how tactics and um, uh, analysis of other teams, I just thought was second to none. And I hadn't sort of seen that side of things in the game like before. Um, I can... I can only sit here and praise Billy for my time with him because at the end of the day, he came in, he kept us up, saved us from relegation that first year. Uh, and then we had two years in the playoffs. Um, and they're probably two of the, two of the most successful years, especially that first playoff year. They were two of the most successful seasons I've probably had as a player. I guess the, the media and Billy was obviously very different, especially in that second spell. It was very spiky. He made comments about the board and not getting his signings and while you were there, I think. But so it sounds like the, the Billy Davis you saw as players, that was totally different, was it? I mean, he, he went to yeah. bat for you and protected you all the time. Yeah. He, I, I think Billy as a manager is a player's manager. He will back mm. the players all day long. Um, and it's him and his staff. And unfortunately, Look, I don't know what happens above him. I don't know the conversations that happen between him and um, him and the board. But something obviously happened coming to the to the end of of his first spell with me. And obviously, I saw a hell of a lot of stuff in the press. Um, sort of when he went in for his second spell, and I think it was. I thought it was an amazing appointment. I thought mm. it was incredible. I think it was Fowler's, wasn't it? Yeah. I think I thought it was a great appointment and I thought it would actually get fans on side. Um, but from what I hear, he just went in with a chip on his shoulder and mm. um, was out to, there was a few comments that were said when he was sacked. And I think he just went Did that surprise you then? That he went in with a chip on his shoulder from what you'd experienced playing for him? It sounded um, like something what not, happened there. Not necessarily, because he's a proud man. Yeah. Proud man. He has got small man syndrome. Um and he probably can be a bit of a, a bull in the china shop, I'd imagine. Um, but I, from how I look at it, I think it's because he's so desperate to do so well and he's such a control freak of how he does his work, which is great for a football manager because you do it your way and you make sure everything works. And like I said, his, his detail was second to none. Um one of the best I've probably had for that side of things. Um, so, like, I totally see why he's gone in and done it. I think he'd gone the wrong way about it. Mm. Um, but only Billy knows what really happened. And and if we go back to the question you asked me at the start, um, my opinion of him, I, I think from an, a manager in a changing room's point of view, I've not worked with many better. Um, there's just a side to him that... He's a stubborn little man uh, and he wants his way. And um, it's either his way or no way. And it just so happened that it was no way on the, on the second time round. Um, after staying up, obviously you came third and came so close. What are your recollections of that season? Because there was a spell where you looked like you might go up automatically. I remember winning at West Brom and you were flying then. Yeah. How do you recall that season? I think that was one of the best away performances you'll see. Um, 3-1 away at West Brom. 
I think in hindsight, um, that that season was the season we should have done it. But if you actually look at how strong West Brom and Newcastle were, they were very strong. But we were top at, in January, I think, um, at the start of January. Um, and us as players were actually saying, we need to strengthen. We need to get two more players in. Whatever they were, I think I think we were, at the time, it's hard to say now, it was quite a long time ago. Hmm. I think we were saying we needed an attacking midfielder who would score goals for us. And I think that, was that the year that, did we have Shorey as left back? And then yeah. he left, and then did we get Bertrand in? You had Shorey at left back. The power of Wikipedia has got the squad up here. Okay. Um, not that Wikipedia, as we showed Paul with the squad that year. Um, yes, so you did have Shorey. I'm not sure if Bertrand came in, but as you look at that squad, I mean, you had uh, Lee Camp had an unbelievable season yeah, goal. He was amazing. And you had um, Wes Morgan, Calvin Wilson. Calvin Wilson, Robert Earnshaw got goals. I mean, uh, Dexter Blackstock, that was a great partnership. Yeah. Do you feel like that side was geared up for promotion then, you think, I, like you say? That was the year. That was the year. So, Billy had been given a lot of money. Mm. Um, so, Earnshaw was, what, two and a half million or three million or something. Uh, we signed Chris Winter for about two million. Um, obviously, we bought myself, which I was nowhere near that sort of fee. But you bought myself. I think we signed David McGoldrick for a million. Um I think that was the year Paul McKenna came in on a free, but what an amazing signing he really was for us. Mm. Um, obviously, you're talking, you're getting Luke um, Shorey in. Um, but there was quite a lot that year that he'd signed some, he'd, he'd, he'd spent quite a bit of money, in fairness. Um, and we did have a squad that you sit there and you go, we we should have done it but like I was saying there was just something missing at January and it's hard to say because it's hindsight isn't it we could have carried on and gone on and, and, and won the league or been in the top two you never know but to finish third and just miss out because we didn't just go and get another player I can't remember I think that was the year that we were linked with like Gareth Bale and stuff yeah it was yeah um, and you kind of think Look, whether or not that was true or whatever, I don't know. And did we did we get Ramsey that year? No, I think that was the year after. Yeah. April. So that was sort of you're looking at it and you're thinking if you just got one or two to come in, I think we'd have got over the line. Um, and I think we just fell away. And obviously, the rest is history with Blackpool, and we should have beat Blackpool. Mm. I don't know what went on with that. Um, for. What did go on? What do you think did go on? I mean, you you were right in the tie. You play. I watched the first leg in a pub in Blackpool. I remember surrounded by Blackpool fans, and you should have. I mean, you probably could have won that game. We should have won the first game, and we made a couple of defensive mistakes for the two goals. And then, what happened in the second game from your point of view? Then, because it just it unravelled. We were winning one nil. So, in my head, you're thinking we go on and, and beat Blackpool. Like, we should have. We should have. We were by far the best team in, in the playoffs that year. Um, and for whatever happened, obviously, DJ Campbell went on and scored a hat-trick. I think he scored a hat-trick anyway. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, and uh, before you know it, we were, we were chasing it. And um, 
yeah, it's it, it real, real shame, really, because that that would have been the year for the club that I think if if any of the fans, from what I can see over the past, I don't know when that was, so eleven years, that was the opportunity for Nottingham Forest to go to the Premier League and progress. Um, before I talk about the next season, I want you to go back one step. You signed for Forest for 250 grand, which seemed a very low fee, even then. Was there a lot of interest for you to go elsewhere at that point, or was it an easy decision to go to Forest, or were you even tempted to say, try luck at Liverpool still? Um, to be honest, I don't think there was an opportunity for me at Liverpool. Um, I think at that point, Liverpool had financial difficulty, and not to the extremes that you would think, but. I think they were pretty much, we need to clear out whatever's not going to be in and around it. I still had years left on my contract at Liverpool. And again, in hindsight, I'd have loved to have stayed because the year after I left was the year that I think Hodgson came in or someone and started giving sort of some of the youth players a chance. So the likes of Jay Spearing, um, who obviously got loads of appearances and stuff, and mm. like Stephen Darby, there was Lee Peltier, uh, Danny Guthrie, all these sorts of players that were in and around my age group and they were English, were getting their opportunity. Jack Hobbs, um, he got his opportunity and he hung around and he stayed and he obviously got Premier League appearances and Champions League appearances and I think I'd have gone on to get that. So from a hindsight point of view, yeah, it would have been amazing to stay, but I also look back at my, my decision where it, it came down to Swansea and Forest again. Mm. Uh, and I just didn't believe what Martinez was saying. Um, I was saying I would only go to Swansea if Martinez was 100% staying. Um, and I, di- I didn't believe that Martinez was going to stay at Swansea. And I thought as soon as he left, the wheels would fall off. Um, and when when I was having the conversations, I just didn't get I didn't get the feel that he was definitely going to be there. Um, so for me, especially the way Billy was going about his business, um, it was it was a relatively simple decision for me because I actually loved it at Forest as much as we didn't have the most successful season. Like realistically, when you look at the size of the club and you see how important it is to the fans and everything, like mm. once you're in and around there, and when you survive and you get the sort of like the fans were buzzing that we survived. There was a bit of a buzz with Billy being there. Um, I. I it was it was a no brainer at the at the point when it when it came to the permanent thingy. As much as I'd have loved to have stayed at Liverpool, but I don't think anything would have been there for me. Um, it was definitely the right decision, and 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 I know it's easy, like I keep saying, in hindsight, to look at what happened. If you actually look at what happened over those next two years, it it was the best decision I, I made because it it gave me an opportunity to to play at the top end of the championship with real opportunity to to go to the Premier League, which is every boy's dream. Um, and I really felt like I was becoming, I know I'm from Leicester, but it felt like I was quite a local lad. Mm. Um, and and I wanted to be a part of something in a massive club because the history of the club is so big. When that actually, when that day actually comes, that Forest get back to the Premier League, it'll be amazing. It's just a shame that I wasn't able to be a part of something that, that got, the, got the club there. Obviously, you came close two years in a row. You lost to to Swansea the next year. I mean, before we talk about that tie specifically, 
How do you reflect on that season? Because you came sixth, it wasn't quite as successful, but you had another good side, another good tilt at it. Yeah, I don't remember that season as well as the the previous season. Um, I don't know whether... I don't don't know. I couldn't even tell you how we ended up in sixth. I don't know whether we did well or didn't to get there. I think the only thing I remember is I think we beat... um, Crystal Palace three 0 on the last day of the season or something, hmm. um, which might have been the year four. Don't know, um, but it 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 kind of because we had such an amazing season the year before and just fell at the final hurdle. Um, I think it was just expected that that was going to happen again, um, and we were a good team. We played some good football. We were very organised. We had some great players, um, and when you go. Like you said, you don't want to go straight into that game, but I probably couldn't tell you one game from that season other than the Swansea game. Mm. Um, and the first leg, that, um, is it Taylor, the left back? Yeah, yeah. He got sent off after four minutes or something, that. Yeah. And at that point, you're thinking, like, this is our year. We, we go and beat this. Because I think both of the years, whoever would have won that game would have got promoted. Mm. So we obviously lost to Blackpool, but we should have won. We should have beat Blackpool and then we would have got promoted. And then in the next year, between us and Swansea, I 100% backed whoever would have won that game. And when something like that happens after four minutes, you think, go on, go on, get a, get a comfortable 2-0 win. And for whatever reason, I don't remember much of the game, um, but I feel like we battered them and just couldn't score. Um, might have been wrong. That's how I felt the game was. Um, and yeah, and then it just went to pot a little bit. I think we were 2 1 down, weren't we, in the second leg? Yeah. 2 1 down, and Earnshaw, so Earnshaw scored to make it 2 1. And then Earnshaw hit the post right in the last minute to equalise for us. And we were gambling, and I think it must have been Campy had gone up the, up the pitch and then Prattley scored from the halfway line. Um, so yeah, so it was just one of those things. It's obviously never meant to be for me, from my point of view, and obviously <laughs> from Forest's point of view as well. Like it's it's a real shame. Like I keep saying, it's a club that really deserves to to be back where it belongs. And those two years really were the years it should have happened. Um, and unfortunately, obviously, the club's still trying to get back to even the, the levels of where it was when I was there. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more in a sec about the, the, the rest of your forest stint, but put a couple of questions to you quickly, if you don't mind. Um, Aidan Fisher asks, who was the best player you played with at Forest? Well, that's a good question. It's hard, isn't it? Because you sort of, you look at from a pure goal scoring point of view, Earnshaw used to score all sorts of things. I think Shorey, to be fair, mm. Shorey was one of, like did nothing special, um, but I don't think I ever saw him lose the ball. I don't think anyone ever ran past him. Um, so go for someone like that. Mieski, Mieski had unbelievable football ability. Lewis McGugan, the footballing ability of those two in the middle of the park, absolute oh. like second to none. They were they were fantastic footballers. Um, I think we were we were very we just had a very talented squad 
Um, I'm trying to think there. Because then you start looking at the sort of the final year when they started bringing in like Jonathan Green in and people like that. And I think they George Bolton. Mm. These sorts of players coming in that really, really good players. Um, so I don't know. With a, with a football at his feet, I think you're talking probably Mieski as a, as a footballer. Um, Jamie Allen asks, what was your favourite game in a Forest shirt? Is there one that springs to mind? 100%. 5-1 against Leicester. <laughs> but, and it, it was always it was always something because I was a whole city fan growing up in Melton so like a Leicestershire village town or everyone was Leicester fans Leicester were in the Prem at the time Hull were in the old Division 3 um, so I used to get dogs abuse for being a Hull fan um, and then obviously signing for Forest I was hated in my own town because I was Forest and they were all Leicester fans so anytime I'd go to my old town and everything I used to get absolutely bombarded by Leicester fans so that day when when it happened and I got to score as well because um, I missed the one-on-one in the first half and I was devastated because I thought that was my, probably going to be the only chance in my career to ever score against Leicester um, but yeah it happened to fall nicely for me in the second half so the, the from a selfish point of view the 5-1 against Leicester was amazing but I think as a team performance, that three-one away at West Brom that we mentioned was one of the one of the best performances that you'll see from a team. Um, do do drop in a few more questions if you want um, for um, Paul, and we'll ask them later on. Um, what 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 went wrong then with Billy? Obviously, he left at the end. What was it like being a player in that group with the kind of the way Billy left? It seemed like there was quite a lot of animosity between him and the club. How did the players yeah. go about their business? I can't really remember exactly how it all went about, what happened, the conversations. Um, so I've probably been making something up. Um, I can't even remember where I was when he got when he got sacked and stuff. Um, do players bother about that kind of stuff, Paul, when a manager goes or, or not? Or do you have to just keep your head down? Got a dog in. in Hello. Come <laughs> <laughs> on, um, I I don't um, I don't you do there's certain look I've been I've been in changing rooms where it's going to sound bad I've been in changing rooms where you want the manager to go mm. because you know he's lost the dressing room and look I'm not a person that I would never want someone to lose their job in any industry in any way. But when a manager loses a dressing room, uh, I think it's hard for them to turn it around. But Billy had never lost the dressing room. Yes, he'd probably lost the odd player because managers do. If Mm -hmm. you're not going to play for a manager or as in the manager doesn't want you there or he's not going to play you, there's going to be some sort of animosity between a player and a manager. Um, But like I say, I don't really remember the whole situation. I just know there was a disagreement between him and the owners. He's done it everywhere he's been. So something had happened. He obviously hadn't got his own way. Um, And he went and it was a surprise to us because it was probably two relatively successful seasons 
However, you don't know if, because they had backed him financially, we had signed some good players on probably half-decent money. Maybe the target was to get promoted and he didn't quite get there. Um, so you don't know what goes on behind the scenes and really we'll never speak about it. And obviously, bless Nigel Doughty, he's not here to tell the story, is he? So... Um, I don't think we're ever going to know the full story of, of what actually happened. It obviously it didn't work. More than me. It didn't work at all under McLaren, which you thought it probably would. He came in, he'd had success, I think, in Wolfsburg or 20 or something like that. Yeah. Um, he said he was going to build the team around McGugan and he made these pretty high-profile signings. So what went wrong there, do you think? Again, I don't really know. Um and I'd had a couple of injuries at the start when he came in as well, which was a shame for me because he's an unbelievable coach. Um, probably the best coach I've worked under, as in from a football point of view and the sessions that I've put on. Um, and obviously it, his CV speaks for itself, really. Um, he's been relatively successful. Again, I don't know what quite happened. Um whether or not it, he was a big name, mm. like a massive name for the not for the club because the club's one of the biggest clubs in the world, but he's a big name. You probably bring in massive expectations to the club. You sign in a lot of players who had Premier League experience, probably on far more money than the rest of the of the changing room. Maybe that caused some sort of I don't know, like not sort of bad relationships within the changing room because it wasn't a bad situation. I don't really know what happened, and I don't understand why he left so early. Um, it was probably not what he thought it was going to be. Again, people can probably sit here and. Um, because I think it was still Nigel at that point. Yeah, it was, yeah. um, Look, fans had opinions of Nigel. Nigel had nothing but Forrest at heart. He would have done anything for for the club. Um, And he was a big fan. So, like, he'd done everything to make that club as successful as possible. Um, you, You don't know. You don't know financial situations. You don't know conversations that are had in boardrooms and things for... For managers and and obviously owners um, and obviously something just didn't click and there was obviously disagreements and I'm sure it was probably McLaren who said I'm not having this and and decided to go his separate ways I suppose. I think it was the same day he went Nigel Doughty put the club up for sale and then obviously sadly so tragically died fairly soon after. Can you give any kind of insight what he was like as an owner if you had many dealings with him and obviously the whole the players must have been distraught when he passed away of course and um look i i only spoke to him a few times mainly the couple of times that i was signing so firstly my loan and then my permanent he he was on the phone to me not not begging me to come but trying to sell the club to me and for why for me to not go to other places. And 
all I can say is everything he spoke about is nothing but positive stuff about the club. He really did love that club and he really wanted to be that person to, to be the one to take them to that level where the, the club should be. Um, and sort of they're the conversations that that I remember with him and he was a really nice guy, really nice guy. Had His heart was in the right place with a lot of things and not just not just from a um, football point of view. Um, every every preseason, he used to invite us to one of his houses um, and we'd go and have a big barbecue, all the players, all the families, um, all the girlfriends, wives, uh, kids and everything. And he'd put special things on at his, at his house for, for us just as a squad. And you look at things like that and you just think, like, it's quite a special man to invite technically his employees um, invite them all to, to his personal homes and, and put on nice dues for, for them and I don't think you hear of many things like that in football so it shows that he was a, a guy with a great heart um, away from the actual the football pitch Was your last season at Forest a bit of a, a nightmare all round? Forgive me, I can't remember the ins and outs of it but you didn't play many times did you did you not did Cottrell not fancy you? Did you have injuries? You're going to have to remind me what happened there. Uh, there was injuries. There was injuries that year. Um, I kept coming back from an injury and I'd get something different. Um, and that was the year that people probably look back and say that I'm an injury-prone player. Um, and for whatever reason, I don't know whether I was pushing my body to absolute limits. I'm not sure. But I was getting so many muscle injuries. Um, I'm not sure why. Um, but it, it, I was getting that and then obviously Cottrell came in um, and it just so happened on, on one of the occasions that I um, don't know how far to go into it because yeah, as far as you want don't worry if you don't want to go into it at all it's fine it, it's been and gone um, but Cottrell was a big fan of mine to begin with um, and if you remember we went on I think we went on a 10-game streak where we didn't score. Mm. Um, I think that was the streak where we didn't even score a goal. Um, it was something like that. We might have just lost or not won, but I feel like it was something big. Um, and there was a bit of a conversation between the lads in the changing room to say, look, like the way the manager's speaking to us isn't okay. The next time he goes at someone you react back. And it just so happened to be me, um, unfortunately. Uh, and it was, um, we played Leicester away. I think it was in a cup tie. We lost 4-0. Um, and it's, we were 2-0 down at half-time. And he just went at it at half-time. And he was, I think he'd have picked a fight with anyone. Um, he was probably under massive pressure, to be honest. Mm. Um, and right and so, like, we, we weren't performing at the end of the day. Uh, and it just so happened that he'd come at me in my face and um, because of what the conversations had said, and I won't say boo to a goose, <laughs> because of what the conversations were said, and I was thinking, God, I can't let the lads down. I'm going to have to have a bit of a go back here. Um, and, yeah, so I, I think I, I reacted and it was a bit of a square off and you sort of had... Um, Marlon Harewood, Andy Reid, um, 
Guy Mercy was holding them back and it was sort of a bit of a scuffle at half time in a and the thing of no no hands laid on anyone or anything like that. Mm. Um but I think that was that was the point where he potentially lost the changing room and I was gonna be the one that then got got forced out because how can a player how can a player respond to a manager like in hindsight again I should never have done it because I should have been selfish and looked after my own career. Um, but uh, I've always been a team player and I'll do whatever for the team. And unfortunately, it was uh, it meant me. I think it was the last three or four months that I didn't play for the rest of the season. And it just so happened that was when Gareth McCleary came in and started scoring bloody old goals. Mm. Um, and he got an amazing move out of it, which I'm over the moon for him for, obviously. But um, I, I look at it and I just sort of, I wish maybe I'd have had three or four months stint where I'd have done something amazing like that for, for Forrest and and been in a position to, to stay at the club. Um, two, two questions coming out of that quickly then. Can, firstly, can a manager ever get a dressing room back once they've lost it? And secondly, are you just a bit... Do you have any regrets or are you a bit gutted about how it did end with Forrest? Because obviously you moved on after that. Um, I think managers can. Um, I think, look, it's hard to say, but I think they can. But there has to be hands held up by the manager. I think they have to admit that they've maybe made mistakes or done something. They have to do something different to what they were doing before. Um, to get that change and move back. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so I, I think they can. Um, there just has to be a bit of humility. Um, look, they're your manager at the end of the day. Yes, we go by what the manager says, but also, but also if a manager makes a mistake or if a manager says something wrong or criticises someone unfairly, like, they they can resurrect that and, and, and actually make up for those mistakes we're, we're all human managers make mistakes players make mistakes if you hold your hands up and admit it I think people have far more respect for you and I think you can definitely get your changing room back um, what was the second part sorry do you uh, any regrets at the way it ended with Forrest you're a bit gutted that you couldn't go out on a high oh obviously like especially when you have the two years beforehand with the playoffs there would have been nothing more I would have wanted, even if I'd have left the club, if I could have been a part of a, a team that got Forrest back to where they should be and I'd have gone on to do something else, at least I could have said, you know what, I was a part of something to help Forrest move forward and be a part of the history. Um, unfortunately, the whole last season was a nightmare. Like you mentioned, from my point of view, injuries um, really affected probably my performances, my body, everything, probably my mental state as well, to then the owner passing away, which creates massive uncertainty around the club. Um, we didn't know whether we were going to be getting paid or not. We, we didn't know anything, what was going on behind the scenes. And I'm sure that was extremely difficult for Steve Cottrell as well. So I, look, I, at the time... I wasn't happy with obviously how I was getting treated with Steve Cottrell, but when I look back at it, I think he was a man under massive pressure and you've got no idea what's going on above him. So I probably have quite a lot of respect for maybe how he handled 
his side of the situation um, and who probably didn't deserve to get the sack, to be honest. Um, it wasn't really his fault for the way the club had ended, but um, but that was the thing. So, yeah, so it was a shame because I'd have liked to have finished actually playing for the club and being a part of it and obviously went into a new phase with Fawaz and I think it was Sean O'Driscoll who took over then. Um, mm. And Sean really fancied me, he liked me as a player. Um, and I did have a conversation about staying, but that fizzled out for whatever reason. Um, and the club was under due diligence at the time, so they couldn't even offer me a contract because I left at 23. So I was class, I was in the Bosman ruling. So if the club would have offered me a contract, I couldn't have left for free. Mm. Um, but because the club were in due diligence, they weren't able to offer me a contract because of the takeover um, by the date that it has to be done by. Um, so that then meant me as a 23-year-old, I could go and speak to other clubs without them having to pay a, um, pay a fee for me. You've had a good career since then. you played for a few clubs. You had a year at Bristol City. I guess maybe you might have left because Cottrell rocks up there. I don't know what happened there. Sean, <laughs> actually. Sean came in. Yeah, yeah, Sean O'Driscoll, yeah. Yeah, Sean yeah. came in, but that, we, we got relegated, um, which we should never have got relegated, but we got relegated by mile. Um, I think there was quite a few problems going on with, with that club at the time. Um, and me being it, I just want to play as high as possible, it has nothing to do with money. Um, I just wanted to play in the championship, and um, Mick McCarthy was interested in me, and Bristol City were trying to sign um, J. Emmanuel Thomas at the time um, and Mick McCarthy said he'd rather have me than a fee for, for J. Emmanuel Thomas which looking back I think was a little bit dodgy because I think <laughs> um, I think J. Emmanuel Thomas had a, um, a percentage sell-on clause or something right. which would have gone to Arsenal so I think McCarthy was clever about it thinking who can we sign from here without having to pay anything. So we're like, because they'd have got no money for him because it would have all gone to Arsenal. So I think he was clever about it. Um, and Luke Chambers had signed for Ipswich at the time and um, a guy called Cole Scoos who's who went from Bristol City. So I think they'd had those conversations and then David McGoldrick had gone as well. Um, and they were, they were like messaging me saying the gaffer's really interested in you. Would you... Um, and I was just like, yeah, I, like I wanted to be in the championship. Um, it was nothing against Bristol City, um, but I just wanted to be in the championship. And uh, I took a pay cut, even in league, from League One, I took a pay cut to go to to Ipswich, just because I was desperate to stay in the championship. You you had a good run at Ipswich. It sounds like the fans liked you there. And then since then, you played for Bradford. Plymouth, Northampton, Mansfield. You've been around a bit. Yeah. Um, is that tough? I guess you've got a young young family, uh, maybe now or before. At that point, is it does it become a kind of a harder life as you drop down the leagues a bit? Yeah, or not? I think. Look, I made mistakes, um, big mistakes that I regret. Uh, I had a slight fallout with my agent at, um, at the time, which was. When, when I signed for Ipswich, obviously I signed on less money. Still good money, but signed on less money. I was delighted to be in the championship. But after my first year there, 
I said, I think we should be speaking to the club and I think I deserve a new contract. I've played most of the games. Um, I think I've, I've put in good performances. I scored five goals, I think. Um, got a few assists and things. So I actually thought I, I did relatively well there. Um, and my agent disagreed with me and said, I don't think it's the right time for you to be going in asking for contracts. And I was like, well, I've got a year left. There's, what other time is the right time? Hmm. Uh, I've played well, performed well. I'm part of the first team squad. I'm on way less than the average wage in the squad. Like, so we had a disagreement, and that, that's where it's gone downhill, really, because I tried to do things myself rather than use an agent. Um, and I had conversations with Ipswich, and Ipswich put a three and a half year deal on the table. Um, and I wish I'd have took it. I should have snapped my arm off, but I was messing around for a little bit extra money um, and that got pulled off and with me not having an agent moving into the summer um, made things really difficult considering I'd scored in the playoffs um, scored in the playoffs semi-finals against Norwich I'd actually played really well in the two games um, so I was thinking I'm not going to have a problem getting a club um, and yeah, I, I was meant to go. I think I was going to go and sign for Charlton in in that summer. Um, and they pulled the contract last minute because apparently six or seven different agents had put me into them. And so they didn't know who to believe and who was this, that and the other. And I obviously have no idea who these agents are, even to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was quite a lot of things that happened. And it, the time was just ticking on and ticking on. And I was desperate to play football. And the one... Uh, constant throughout the whole of that summer was um, Phil Parkinson at Bradford who I didn't want to go because it was League One and I played seven years in the Championship and thought I deserved to be in the Championship um, Phil Parkinson was so good with me the whole summer he was like look if you haven't got a team we'll, we'll have a contract here for you regardless whatever like you do what you've got to do if you're going to have a Championship team you're going to get a Championship team I'm not going to stand in your way and then it sort of came to a point where um, it came to a point where I had to sort of make a decision and nothing seemed to be coming up for me um, and uh, and yes I ended up signing for signing for Bradford and I think I broke my leg within three or four weeks of going there mm. um, so it was like a double slap to the face really that I was probably a little bit I was fuming, in all honesty, that I had to drop to League One. Um, my wages obviously dropped. Um, and then I went and at least it was a club who had ambition and should have been right up at the top. And I think if I was fit, um, we would have been right up there. Um, but I missed most of the season and broken leg. So <laughs> it was what it was, unfortunately. Um, and then from there on in, it's like, no one wants to touch you after you've missed six months of football, seven months of football. And um, I was probably on relatively big wages for the level. Um, and it, it's difficult, isn't it? Clubs start clubs start questioning, doubting. Clubs can't afford you. Um, and you end up just having to take. And I went to Northampton. Literally, after that, I, I couldn't get in. Mm. Team, even, even though you played in the championship and you were how old were you then you're like 27 28 or something. and you still couldn't get a team it's crazy. I could not get a team I had Colchester in league two 
and I had Northampton on deadline day um, when I when I was leaving Bradford. Could not get it. No one at all. Like and Northampton were just like, look, we can give you this if you come. You come. If you don't, you don't. Um, and it was just a conversation between me and my wife at that point. Um, we just had our first child, um, and I sort of probably broke down a little bit and just said, I need to go and play football. Like if I don't go play football and I sit here at Bradford because Bradford were trying to push me out, if I just sit here, that's going to be two years of football that I've not played. And if I can't get a team now, how am I going to get a team after after staying here for another year? Mm. So I made that decision. And I actually did all right for a team that was struggling in League One. Um, I think I scored seven goals. Um, actually didn't do too bad. Um, and left there and then that's when I went to Mansfield and Steve Evans bent over backwards to get me there and I was desperate not to go because I didn't want to drop again to League 2 but it was a club with massive ambition um, offering half decent money for the level and the location was fantastic for me to be sort of back home Um, so it kind of ticked all the boxes in one um, and it was ideal for me and then Steve left. <laughs> Steve left and left. Yeah, me. Yeah, by the end of it. And then David Flickroft came in, and yeah, that was that. He had something against me from day one. It's a brutal industry, isn't it? Really, I don't. Do you think people don't appreciate? You know, it only takes one manager to to decide he doesn't fancy you, right. and then your whole career changes. I think my problem is people signed me at League One, League Two levels, thinking we're going to have a player here and mm. thinking we'll give him good wages for the level. They're expecting me to be Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo of, of their team. That's not me as a player. I'm a team player. I do all the hard graft. I do all the hard work. I make the team a better team. Every team I've been in has had better win percentages when I've played compared to when I haven't. So it can't be a coincidence what I bring to a team but if you sit there and you ask me you say what do you bring to the team I don't know (laughs) I can't answer it I think I work hard I think I have a good football intelligence in my brain I think if you put me in a championship team now I think I'd be far better than playing at League 1 League 2 because more of it's up here Mm. as lads in League 1 League 2 with great ability but just don't know how to use it at the right times um and uh, I think the championship as a level actually really suits me. Um, I just need a manager at these levels to to realise what I actually do for do for the club and look at when I went in at Northampton this last time. Um, so last season I only lost one game when I was on the pitch, and that was Derby away in the in the FA Cup. Hmm. So that was the only time last season that I lost a game when I was on the pitch. How, how it must be stressful then because you've got kids, yeah. you you want to play at this level, and you're relying on people to take a, a punt on you at a time when the economy's kind of crashed at the moment. Uh, things go wrong at Mansfield through no fault of your own. It's yeah. a it's a tough career and it's a short career, horrible. isn't it? It's horrible, and and I've <laughs> we figured it out the other day. So I've moved house 17 times in 16 16 years. And I think we all know, anyone who's moved house, how stressful it is, 
how horrible it is. And in those times, I've never got a, a removals company to come and do it. Like, I've done it all myself. I've borrowed my mate's van and myself and my wife now and my dad and my mate have packed up houses every year to move. And it's really stressful. And we've got two kids now. I've got a four-year-old who starts school next month um, and a two-year-old who is is not far, obviously, far behind and you want them to be settled. And it, it does get it does get to a point and, and it does baffle me how, how clubs don't, don't come like come to me um I'm, I'm good in the community and i'm i think i'm great in the changing room like i might be bigging myself up and think i'm something i'm not but i'm not i'm not a person to sit here and say do you know what i'm Lionel messi of the team and i'm going to take everyone on and score tens of goals a season that's not me that's not me as a player i know what i bring to a changing room and what i bring to a team um, and i definitely make a team better at whatever level it would be I definitely make a team better. It's like you say, it, it's quite frustrating. And and I think until you have me as a player, I don't think you really realise what I can bring to the to the picture. Um, what now for you then? Do you think you are, you're only in your early thirties? You want to keep playing? You said you were doing your coaching badges. What's the the long term plan? I want to. I'm as fit as a fiddle. Like you, we do all these runs and everything. I'm, I'm still right up there near the front. Like the youngsters aren't going to beat me yet. <laughs> um, so I, I'm still right up there. I'm so fortunate that my metabolism and stuff is so fast that I don't put a, an ounce of weight on. I know people hate me for that, um, <laughs> but I, I've tried to put weight on for years and I just can't get there. I'm still skinny, um, but look. It, I've got so much time left. I reckon I've still got another five, six years left in the, in the tank if I if I get the opportunity somewhere. And I'm I'm just hoping someone someone at some point just takes that little bit of a gamble on me and realise what I do. Um, even just having me in and around places, um, I think I bring so much good experience. I've obviously got champion championship experience. I've got two promotions in my book. I've, I've been there and thereabouts all the time and um, something will come up and someone will take a chance if I've got to go on trial I'll go on trial like last year for Northampton I went to play for nothing for six months that, that's what I had to do so six months well from six. from September or whenever I signed October through till January so October yeah so I didn't get paid over the summer obviously and then October through to January, I just went and took a pay-as-you-play contract because I just wanted to play football. Um, and it worked out well. And I'm sure if there's any footballers out there who see it or see these comments, like, you never know what can happen. My dream was always to play at Wembley. And with my four failed semi-finals with two at Forest, one at Ipswich, one at Bradford, um, I actually thought it was never going to happen. Um, and the year that I don't expect to even have a football club, I end up going to Wembley and winning, winning promotion last year. So there's a every cloud and all that. Um, so yeah, so moving forward, hopefully I get a club. Um, I'm sure I will. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll uh, I'll end up somewhere. I'll, I've got a lot to give, hell of a lot to give. Um, I'm hungrier than ever. 
to to play and, and prove a point. And um, like we said, doing my coaching badges, got a couple of other little bits going on away from football. Um, I'd love to just give my experience back to the younger generation and and kids coming through. I think I've got so much so much knowledge to give to to young lads. Not necessarily football knowledge. Like I've had some highs and some very lows through mm. football. And if I can help any young kids coming through, like I'd love to be able to do that. So I'm sure something will be there for me at some point. I've just got to get these coaching badges over the line, and um, and yeah, hopefully I can work with some young lads and and help them progress to have have anywhere near a career I've had. Hopefully better. Um, there's a few comments coming in saying good luck getting a team. A couple of one of the questions from Tom Faulkner, which I was going to ask you myself uh have you got an agent now and uh, how do you go about getting one because it sounds like such a minefield and such an important decision how, how do players find agents i'd be interested to know look i hold my hands up i made a massive mistake when i had a fallout with my agent i had him from 17 through till 25 26 um and I probably had a little bit of an ego on me at the time to think I could get better than what I actually had. Um, I've made mistakes. I hold my hands up and, and my career, unfortunately, has, has gone downhill really because of sort of decisions I've made at those times. Um, since then, I have had nightmare situations with agents, partly my own fault. I think I'm too nice of a guy. I'm too trusting. Um, when someone says they're going to do something, I believe they're going to do it because that's how I work. That's how I've been brought up. Um, and yeah, I've had a couple just clinging on, hoping for other things to come from it and never actually bringing anything to me. I had an amazing guy from up in Scotland look after me over the last year. Really, really helped me. Not, not from necessarily a football point of view, but just to someone to believe in me because I hadn't had that for a few years and mm. he was really good um, but his contacts are more based up, up in Scotland and um, just didn't feel like the relationship would have progressed and, and yes I signed I signed with a new agent um, in the lockdown actually um, not that I've met him <laughs> uh, but um, it was all through word of mouth friends that had agents like at the end of the day any agent will jump on a player because they think they can make money from a player but this guy that I was speaking to I had several conversations with him over the phone it wasn't necessarily about my playing playing thing he wasn't that bothered about making he understands that at league two levels agents aren't going to make big money Mm. like they might make a few grand here and there off player it's not going to it's not going to provide them with a with an income um, so he, he was there and, and he seems to have the best interest for me as a person, things away from football, my coaching, um, anything to do with media. Um, he, he's, he's sort of behind me all the way. And so I've, I've signed with him. I'm putting my trust in him this summer, um, and hoping, hoping he comes up with a, a bit of a golden nugget at some point. So, um, things have been slow this summer, obviously with, with the whole situation, but I also have to, I'm really comfortable with where I'm at and I know I'm so fortunate to be in the position I'm in when 
I think COVID has probably probably had quite a big effect on a lot of people. So I understand that I'm in an extremely fortunate position, and I'm sure I can make something work if football doesn't quite doesn't quite come to me. And and I've been relatively clever with my investments away from from football, so I'm not going to be I'm not going to have no roof over my head if if I don't get a club to start with. So um, I, look, I'm extremely grateful for what football has given me up to this point. I hope I've got five, six years left in me um, and I hope someone gives me that opportunity and I'll prove that was wrong and someone will get bargain when they get me, I tell you. Um, but look, I, 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 I'm very appreciative of my situation and um, I'm sure there's people out there who are struggling and um but if there's anyone watching that's struggling, just keep the faith. It'll happen. It'll happen. We'll be all right. Um, who's who's a, what's a footballer support network then? Because it's a nomadic career. Is it your wife, your parents, any former teammates, any ex-managers? Who, who can you lean on when you're trying to you know you're, you're moving around quite often? I think it. I think it's football's a strange business. Like mm. I've moved. To so many different clubs in such short period of times, so it's really tough for my wife. Like she's having to, she gave up her her life for me, for me to live my dream, um, and she's had to move with me and go with my decisions. Um, and it's not necessarily fair, um, but I, I have to appreciate she's given up all of that for me. So she's, especially in my time at Mansfield, I was in a dark place when we talk about mental health and things like that. I was in a really dark place. I was getting questioned as a person and my character was getting questioned, not necessarily my footballing ability. Um, there was big questions over me as a person, which made me really doubt myself. Um, and she was the one I'm coming home to every day. And she's seen me in this place and she's the one who's had to put up with me and being, if I can use the word arse, <laughs> I'll use it. Um, yeah. And she's probably received the brunt of it. But I, again, I'm so fortunate to have the family I've got around me. They're all pretty local to me. Um, my dad, my mum, and then obviously my wife, my two kids. As frustrating as kids can be, though, they are, yeah. they are the sunshine to your day sometimes. Um, and and I've got great friends friend network. But with football, your friends come and go so quickly. Um, and you move on with your own lives and it's hard to navigate meeting up with someone when you've got everything else going on and football's quite an intense business like I know we get a bit more time off than a normal nine to five job but like you don't have your weekends to arrange to go and see friends and be here there and everywhere you're traveling the length and breadth of the country to to do your job so it's not like you can make loads of plans, especially when you've got a family. Um, but yeah, like I've had such good people around me and, and you, you talked about managers and players and um, the PFA, I have to say, the PFA gets a bit of a bad name sometimes. The PFA over my last two years have been brilliant. Like really, really supportive. They, they helped me with like counselling, paid for all my counselling and everything that I needed. Um, when I was in a bad place, um, gave me so much support. Uh, there's only the other day that someone from the PFA rang me to 
ask how I am, make sure everything's okay, obviously, with the COVID situation, knowing that I'm out of contract and things like that. So um, I can speak very positively about the PFA. Um, I know they can't always be there for every single player, but um, but they're, they're obviously another network that footballers can can use and um, they have far, like, far more... Um, the words to use sort of areas and industries that they can get in contact for to, to help you so so they've been great for me as well as obviously friends and family um, Forgive me if this is too personal a question but when you talk about counselling is it hard to go and ask for help when you work in an industry that's you know so um, full of testosterone or whatever you know what I mean it's a, yeah. a tough game is it hard to go and seek assistance or not? I think it is, but I obviously think in the past year or so, mental health has really been accepted into society and realised that it's an illness rather than um, someone just complaining or moaning. Um, So it's out there. You've obviously, you've got all the badges on the kits and stuff now for the mental mental awareness and mental health awareness and everything. Uh, Mind, is it? Yeah. Mind. Um, so you've got all these companies and and when you look at football, if you look at my situation, there's a hell of a lot of stresses that that come on like the pressures of actually performing on a football pitch. Obviously you're having to perform and train in every single day, you've got pressures, especially when you're playing in League One Two, League One and Two, paying bills, paying mortgages, you're not earning silly amounts of money. You're not like you're not these Premier League stars that are earning 100, 200 grand where, look, they obviously have their pressures and their stresses, but I would imagine finances are quite low on their agenda. Um, you, you see people at Berry when Berry was folding, like some of the lads couldn't even pay their mortgages and they've lost their mm-hmm. house because of it. it. It's no different. It becomes more of a job at League One, League Two because the money's just not there. Um, so, yeah, so... It's uh, it is it is easier to access now, and it's easier to admit it. I think quite a lot of bigger players have come out and expressed their difficulties with mental health and things. Um, and again, if anyone's watching with it, like me talking to someone, made things so much better, so much better. Like people. You might think you feel weak or you look weak or anything like that. It is not that at all. You are a human being. Like, we all have feelings and emotions. And um, just speak to someone. And you never know what they're going to say. Like, something, well, someone will say something outside the box that you would never think of. And when you're in that dark place, all you see is, see is negativity. That's all you see. And, like, there's so many positives to have out there. Um, like speak to them like, I, if it's anyone someone on Twitter anyone who's watching this or anything if, if you not if there's a problem message me message anyone message your mate make sure your mate's okay like just check in on people especially with how COVID's been we can all sit there and have a smile people wouldn't have had a clue what was going on with me when I was in the changing room not a clue mm. um, 
this was at Mansfield, I take it, when you were exiled to like the under-12s or something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was lads that weren't even professionals. I was training with college kids sometimes. Um, and look, I can't speak more highly of um, Richard Cooper, who was running the, running the place that I can't speak more highly of the guys there and the under-18s and some of the lads that I was there. They accepted me into their changing room and like were brilliant with me. They literally, uh, Jamie Maguire and stuff, they were there. They took me under their wing and they they were like, look, this is not your fault. This is just the way football is sometimes. Um, so, uh, like, they were massive help to me as well because I could have been totally, I could have been totally ostracised when it went, when I went to, because I trained at Brooksby College um, for six months, I think it was. I could have been totally pushed aside and, and whatever, but they actually included me in their in their group and and actually felt wanted, which is strange considering I was in a position where I wasn't wanted. Um, so yeah, so so it was. Uh, look, I've learned a lot, and I think it'll. Uh, if I go into management or if I go into coaching, I think it'll have massive positives on what I do moving forward, and I've learned a hell of a lot of how not to be. And how not to treat people, um, and like from that side of things, especially when we talk about David Flickcroft, like I, I actually thank him for how he treated me because it will make me a far better person and a far better coach moving forward. Um, well, I know everyone will be glad to hear you're in a good place now and feeling optimistic. I wanted to just ask you one urban myth about Forest and your time there that I'm hoping you can put to bed. Maybe there's this story going around of people asking about. Billy in the tunnel before the Blackpool game saying, I'm glad we got you in the playoffs. It fired them up to beat us and raise their game against us. Did you, is there any truth in that that you know of or not? Couldn't tell you. I really couldn't tell you. Um, I don't believe Billy would be that sort of person hmm. because he's a clever guy. Hmm. Uh, if something was said to him to wind him up, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him to retaliate with something like that. I don't know. I'd be, I'd be making something up. I have no idea. I didn't even know that was a thing. I thought you were going to say something else. There's another one. <laughs> what was he going to say? <laughs> There's another one. I, me and Marcus Tudgay both got injured in a warm-up, strangely enough. Hmm. So we were both starting. And we both got injured in the warm-up. And when I came out, the rumour had it, me and him had had a fight in the changing room before the game. <laughs> ah, yeah, there was another one. What happened with Todd Gay? So had you, you'd had a fight with him? <laughs> I, I, I think he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, because it was strange. I got a couple of texts saying, what's going on? And I was like, well, I've just injured myself. I've pulled my hamstring or something in the warm-up. Um, but yeah, no, it was... No, I, I don't think I've got a fighting bone in my body. <laughs> um, just as we begin to wind down, and I want to ask you about Forest today because, like you, you had that success with Northampton at Wembley around the time Forest a few weeks later had an absolute nightmare and dropped out of the playoffs. Uh, how do you think those players will be able to respond to that? From because it is a big mental challenge for them now. How, how do you think that dressing room is going to react? It's huge, but. 
got to put it right. Like, when I saw it, obviously, between the manager and the players, there's been... That should never happen. No. But it's happened. And you've just got to put that... Like, you've got to put it right. If that doesn't give you hunger and fight to go on and do better, like, what does? Hmm. Like, you you become... You learn more from your downs and your mistakes. And the manager will have learned from what he's done in games and mistakes he's made. The players will learn from it. It's an amazing experience to have. Don't get me wrong, it's negative. But if you're ever in that position again, like that's going to make you a stronger player for that happening. Has to. Mm. Has to. Um, you then look, the club's just gone and signed a couple of players. You've signed Lyle Taylor. So you've got him and Graben up front, two of the most prolific strikers in the league. Um, a few more that come in. Club's in a good place. Mm. Club's in a great place. Look, that, once once the season starts, it's fine because you've not played a game. There's not been a pre-season game. There's not been anything for the fans to look at and think positively about because they're still clutching on at this terrible game that happened and it's terrible and I shouldn't laugh about it like it's not funny it's awful for the club it's awful for the players it's awful for the fans it's awful for everyone but there's nothing you can do about it Hmm. like we move on to this season I've got massive fond memories of Forest Forest between Forest and Ipswich they're I probably support them more than I do Hull, to be honest. But, like, I have amazing, amazing memories from the clubs. And the fans will forget about it. You'll you'll win a couple of games in the first few games and you'll be back up there, you'll be talking about the playoffs again. You never know, the club might end up being right up there. Like, I think it's in good hands. And the coach, or the head coach, because he's not manager, is he? head coach I think he'll be fine and he'll, and he'll resurrect it as long as the club sort of back in give him a little bit of time um, they'll play a half decent style of football um, and if there's money there to be spent this year we've got more chance than most to, to get promoted because some clubs are going to be struggling so uh, last question. Are you still in touch with any of your old Forest teammates? Then you talk about what a great time it was. Do you, do you ever talk to any of those lads or not, not meet up these days, but do you speak to yeah. them? Yeah. Um, so Nathan Tyson still speak to every now and again. Um, me and Jack Hobbs, that wasn't because of Forest, but me and Jack Hobbs are like best mates in football, um, have been for years. Um, we meet up, we do things as families every now and again. He's only. Um, I think he's 15 minutes away from us now. So we go and do things and the kids do things every now and again when we can. Um, like I say, you've got the, the likes of David McGoldrick, uh, Wes Morgan. It's more through social media and messages that when they do something well, you say congratulations because I'm buzzing for them at the end of the day. Like as much as I'd have loved to have been in their position and played in the Premier League and obviously Wes has gone on to win the Premier League. Like, 
absolutely amazing. And like, you just, I just send them a message saying congratulations, whether they're bothered or not. I don't know. But they reply, they always give me the time. Like, um, Luke Chambers, I still get on really well with it, Ipswich. Um, so yeah, so quite a lot of Guy Moosey. I met up with Guy Moosey probably a year ago, went and had a coffee together. Um, so as much as you can around your busy schedule and stuff, or if I ever head anywhere, if I go into knots or message someone and say, are you about if they are great, get a coffee. If they're not, then, then you, you sort of message. So it's difficult. And I think everyone knows life takes over, doesn't it? When hmm. Kids. Um, yeah, it changes, changes life a little bit, but, but yeah, still keep in touch with a few and obviously buzzing for the likes of David McGoldrick, Wes Morgan, um, other lads who have gone on and, and done really well. Let me ask you one more question from what you've been saying. Um, if you'd been offered this career as a six, 17 year old when you signed at Liverpool, would yeah. you have taken it? 100%. Yeah. If I'd have played one professional game, I'd have took it. That, my, look, my real dream was to play for England and play in the Premier League. That was my real dream. Was it an unrealistic dream? Obviously, a little bit if you look back at it, I represented England at under-19s. So technically, I've represented my country. One of the proudest moments of my career to sing that national anthem. Um, and I've played at some of the biggest clubs in the world. I've been at Liverpool, Nottingham Forest, and Ipswich. Three massive clubs within European football. Um, and... I'm extremely proud of, of what I've done. If it ended today, I'd be extremely proud. Uh, I don't want it to end today. I still have a hell of a lot, and I've, I've still got a lot of people to prove wrong. And I know that's not the right attitude to have. You should want to do it for yourself and do it for the people that you want to prove right. Um, but, but, like, it's just the way I work, and I, I really thrive off of my middle finger up to someone, um, which was which was nice for me this year because there was a lot of doubts about my career coming into last season, and I had a massive part in the in what Northampton did. And I didn't get to play in the playoffs as much as I'd have liked, but um, I don't think the club would have been there without me. Um, so yeah, so extremely proud of where I'm of where I'm at and what I've achieved and. Again, hopefully at some point I can make it better. And beyond that, help others have have a, a better career than what I've had. Well, I just want to thank you really so much for, you know, your honesty, your insight. A pe- couple of comments from people, I mean, a lot of comments saying what a great player you were and a great bloke you are. Um, John Michael White, great player, was a sight to behold when Billy's Forest team used to go on the counter-attack. I can well believe he can still do a job in the Championship. Uh, Hugh Brennan, great interview, very honest insight. Best wishes, Paul. There's loads of people with good wishes for you. And I just want to thank you for spending so much time with us. Uh, I hope people have found it an interesting insight into Paul's career and just generally what it's like for a pro who's been at the top end of the game, the lower end of the game and dealing with the world today like we all are. So um, thanks very much. You can listen to this on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Catch us on YouTube. Uh, we watch this on Facebook if you missed it. It's been a really good long episode. And uh, we'll be back soon. But like I say, Paul, thank you so much for your time. Right, thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you for having me.
Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you.